0: So we're starting a new series today. Um, this series will take us uh, up to Thanksgiving, and then at, at that end of November is when we will start our Advent series, right? So um, if you didn't notice, uh, the year is winding down. We are through the holiday season, right? And now it still feels like summer, at least from like 2 to 4 p.m., Right, and but but even though it does still feel like summer sometimes, we we see realize that the, again the calendar keeps turning and, and we're moving on you know towards those holiday seasons. But uh, until we get to that Advent series, our Christmas season, we are going to be studying the book of Galatians, and we're gonna we're gonna go through just chapter by chapter. Um, This morning, actually, we're not going to cover the entire chapter one, so we're going to just break it up, but we got six weeks to go through the book of Galatians. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to the book of Galatians. It's one of these New Testament letters. Um, It is written by Paul, and Paul wrote um, a lot of the New Testament. In fact, uh, we have, you know, the New Testament starts with the Gospels, the stories of Jesus, and um, and then we, we move into the next section is Paul's letters, and, which makes up a, a lot of the New Testament. And so we are pretty familiar with his writings. I mean, we, we learn, you know, kind of his style, kind of the, the, the things that he addresses and, and that he teaches. And, and Galatians is very much a Pauline letter. In fact, if, if we look at it as we read it, um, he's very clear on that. But, but Galatians, though, does have a different tone than a lot of his other letters, in fact, Galatians um, feels a little less formal, and it's a little more personal okay, than some of his letters. Some of them are very formal. Again, if we look through, like Romans is one of is the longest Pauline letter, and it's it's very formal, right, in what it goes through and just just presents the content and, and challenges. Where again, there are other letters like like the Timothy letters and some of the more personal ones, right, that have a different tone. and And Galatians is somewhere in between. Because it is a very personal tone to his letter, but it's not addressed to a person, it is addressed to a church. And again, the majority of his letters are addressed to churches. They're to, you know, the churches that he started, that he planted in, these different, in his different missionary journeys that we can read about in Acts. And as Paul was called to share the gospel with the Gentile community, right, the non-Jewish community. And he went around, and he did that, and he planted these churches in these different towns, and, and he planted a church in Galatia, and this was a church that, just like most churches, had a few issues. Okay, in fact, that's what a lot of his letters do, right, is he writes these, le- these letters to these churches and say, hey, there's this problem, right, there's this issue, there's this thing going around, I heard this, right, and he corrects them and, and gives them godly advice, right, and he always points them back to the gospel, and when we look at the letter of Galatians, this one, again, it has a, a very different tone. Like I said, part of it is, is the personal nature of the letter, but the other part of the tone that comes through in this was because he was addressing a very serious topic. There was a very serious issue going on with the church of Galatia. And we see this, again, in the very opening verses of the letter. And we're going to start there with the intro of the letter, Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. So if you have your Bible with you, please open with me. If you're with us in person, you'll have your own Bible. Their Bibles provided for you in the seats, and you'll notice the page number is there on where you can find it in those Bibles. But we're going to read the intro to the letter here in Galatians one uh, 1 through 5, where he says, This letter is from Paul, an apostle. And I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Now, as we read these verses, again, this is, this is literally the Dear Galatia part, right, of the letter. And when we read it, it starts out seemingly like most of his letters. He kind of, again, he, he introduces himself and, and, and why he's writing. Now, again, he doesn't get straight down to the reason he's writing here in the intro, but he does dive straight into exactly his purpose in writing. In fact, we look at this intro. Is, is he wastes no time? In fact, he wastes no uh, no words. Right, in that he dives right into uh, to this to this situation that he's addressing. He, he's kind of setting up this tough conversation. And he he's, from the very first words, he's presenting the, this this foundation right for what he's about to tell them because the letter is about to get uncomfortable. Right, he, he's saying this is. It feels like as a parent, right, when you have to sit down with your kids and have a tough conversation. Right, this is when again, you know, if you're a parent of a teenager, this is when you text your teenager and say, "Hey, we need to talk." And then you sit down with them, right, and, and, and they're uncomfortable and you're uncomfortable and you're like, hey, we have something to address, right? And, and this is kind of the, the tone. This is where he's at, right? And this is where he starts. Kind of similar to how you, as a parent, you start out this conversation, right? You sit down with them and, and it's all awkward and you're like, you know I love you, right? know I'm the boss. Right? Um, again, and the next thing, right, is, well, my job as your parent is to bring up stuff like this, right? Okay, and this is how Paul starts. Right? And this is kind of the tone. And in fact, he addresses four very specific things in the beginning of this letter, right? As he's setting up this awkward conversation. Okay, the first thing is in verse 1, okay, where Paul points out the fact that he is coming with divine inspiration, not human authority. Okay, he says, hey, we have this issue we got to talk about, and I just want to remind you of, like, why I'm the one writing this letter, why I'm sitting down having this conversation. Okay, it's because I'm not coming under human authority. I'm coming because Jesus Christ himself appointed me to this position and told me I needed to do this stuff. Right, he's coming with divine inspiration, not human authority. And ultimately, he's, he's reminding them that they need to question authority, right? They need to look at where, what do they follow, right? Um, who do they listen to? Who do they trust? And he's saying, you can trust me because I'm here because God sent me. Right? And, and again, the, the, the implication, right, is that we need to kind of ask that question about, well, can I trust this source? right, as they're about to give me this advice or, or correction or whatever is about to come, right, is can I trust what they're about to say? Should I listen to them? And this is a, a foundational question that he subtly addresses here in these open lines, opening lines of the letter. Again, because he's setting up this hard conversation. And he's reminding them, like, hey, by the way, you should listen to me, right, because I'm speaking for God. The next thing he does in verse 2, okay, is that Paul points out the fact that he is coming with unity from within the body of Christ. Again, he's saying this, hey, this isn't just me, right? But all of the brothers and sisters that are here with me in Christ are joining with me in bringing this up. Okay, he's coming in unity from the body of Christ. Right, that it's not, it's not just my opinion, right? That, that this is, as we look at the, just the bigger picture body believers, right? That, that we have an issue we need to talk about, right? And we're all in agreement that, that you have straight. That he presents unity, again, because of what he is about to address in the letter. Now, again, if we think about our parent-kid conversation, we know this is a different kind of unity than when they're like, right? We're always like, well, if all your friends were jumping off a bridge, right? And this is where he's saying, but no, find unity of, again, based in this divine inspiration, right? Based in these other things that he's bringing. He's saying, do, again, do we, do we commonly agree, right, that this is the right issues, right? We're headed in the right direction. The next thing he addresses in verse 3 okay, is, is that he's coming with a loving heart. As you see, again, in verse 3, right, what does he say? He says, may God, the Father and Lord Jesus Christ, give you grace and peace. He's setting them up, once again, for this tough conversation, right? But he's like, this is my intention. My intention is not to rock the boat. My intention is not to make waves, right? It is not to make you upset. My intention is to bring you grace and peace. Because of what he's about to do, what he's about to bring up. Again, God's word literally tells us in Hebrews 12 that God disciplines those that he loves, all right, and this is that moment where he's like, remember, I love you. Hey, okay, this is coming from love. And then the, the the last thing that he addresses, okay, in verse four in this intro, is, is he reminds them that he's coming with the foundational truths of the gospel. Right, that what he is about to present, he's reminding them is say, guys, this is this is what matters. This is so important. Right, and that's again what he lays out in verse four. In verse four, he says, Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. And again, there's some very foundational truths that he presents in this sentence. Right? The, the first thing he points out is the fact that Jesus paid the price for your sin. And he's literally about to call them out in sin, by the way. Right? And so he's, he's looking at it and he's like, hey, remember, Jesus paid the price for your sin. Okay, also, the next foundational truth that he presents in the Senate, right, is the fact he mentions God the Father, right, that he's planned this, that God the Father loves us enough to have a plan to rescue us, right, that God loves us enough to to have a plan to redeem us, right, and then the next thing, right, he addresses is the fact that evil exists, right, that God is loving and he has a plan and that Jesus is the Messiah and paid for your price, but there's also evil, Right? And where is the evil? The evil is in this fallen world. Again, he lays the foundation of, of, what, of the foundational truths of the gospel message. Right? And as we look at these four things, when we put these four things together, right, the, the fact that he's coming with divine inspiration, not human authority, the fact that, that he's, he's coming in unity of the bigger church, Right, that he's coming with a loving heart and with the foundational truths of the gospel. When we put these four things together, they become incredibly powerful filters for determining what I will base my life on. In fact, we, we should be asking that question, what am I going to base my life on? Right, what is my life going to be about? And these are, are, are incredibly powerful filters to run those, that through, Right? If I'm about to go down this road, right, of, of commitment, of belief, of, of devotion, of obedience, right, is, is, are all these true? Is it coming from God, right? Is, is there agreement within the bigger body of Christ? Is it coming with a loving heart and intention? And does it support the gospel? And the reality is, if it, if it doesn't pass all four of those filters, it might not be worth basing your life on. Okay, and so Paul addresses this, right? And again, what, what am I going to follow? What is my life going to be about? And then he moves on from the intro, and then he gets, dives right into the deep end, into the content of the letter, okay? And he does this then in the next section in verses six through 10. So we're going to go back to your Galatians uh, chapter one, picking up at verse six, when he says, I am shocked He dies right in. I told you he does, right? (laughs) I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God, who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news. But it is not the good news at all. You're being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preached to you. I say again what we have said before. If anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Okay, let's just all take a deep breath together, right? I mean, he dives into the deep end really quickly with them, right? He, he kind of butters them up at the beginning of the intro. He lays down this, this kind of loving foundation, right? And, and, he, and then he dives right in, right? He tells us very quickly his reason for writing to this church. The, the Galatian churches were being led astray by false teaching and a false gospel. They were drifting. They were drifting from the truth of the gospel message, of the good news of Jesus. They, and, and, and as we see this, as he, he dies in, right, he calls them out very clearly and very succinctly. Right As he does that, there's, there's the, the most foundational thing we need to realize, which is the, the main issue that he's addressing, right, is the fact that there is only one True gospel. Okay, there's only one true gospel. And he, he's applying, and he's telling them, he's like, guys, what you are, are being deceived into, what is being taught to you is not the true gospel. And the implication is, wow, there's more than one. Right, there's different versions of the good news. Right, and he, but he says, guys, there's only one. And don't follow the wrong one. Right? Because the reality is how we define Jesus makes a big difference. How we define Jesus is the difference between the true gospel and every other version of the good news. In fact, if you look at every major world religion, it comes down to how you define Jesus. In fact, if you look at other world religions, right they all. I mean, acknowledge that Jesus was a historical person, right? That he lived and walked on this earth. But ultimately, it comes down to, again, was he, was he the Messiah? Right? Well, again, was he here on divine authority or on just human authority? Right? Exactly why did he come? Okay, how we define Jesus makes all the difference. Look at all the different world religions and all the different offshoots, denominations, you know, faith systems, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and they all see Jesus a little different. In fact, as we, um, as we look at this, we're thinking this obviously was a very big issue for, for the Church of Galatia, and in that time, as Paul is addressing it, we think, well, is, is, that a, is it still a big issue today? I mean, we're obviously in a very different world, different culture in 2022 than he was when Paul wrote this. Like, is this still relevant? Well, I'll tell you it is, right? In fact, it's, I think it's more relevant today than it, potentially even when Paul wrote this letter. Okay, because the way we define Jesus makes all the difference. Okay, in fact, I literally just this last week, in, in those last couple of weeks, I, I, I get just, I'm on a bunch of different email lists and you know different stuff. One of them that I'm on and I get stuff and then regularly uh, is from Barna Research. Okay, and Barna is a Christian organization that, that goes out and they, they, they do just a lot of surveys and they do a lot of study and about culture and these different things. Okay, one of this Barna study, they've recently um, just completed one of the largest worldwide studies that they've ever done. Okay, and the title of this study was how teens around the world relate to Jesus. Okay, and they, they kind of surveyed, again, not just American teenagers, but what from all over around the world. And they were asking them just these different questions and, and seeing how they, how they answered them, right? Uh, th- this literally is quoted from this report out of this, this study on how teens around the world relate to Jesus. It says, some core elements of the gospel story come through in teens' perceptions of Jesus. Nearly half of, of, nearly half overall, 47% of teens, believe that Jesus was crucified. At this point, however, most teens put a period at the end of the story of Jesus. Only one-third of all teens, 33%, says that Jesus rose again. And in fact, even among teens who identify as Christians, only 50% of them say that Jesus was resurrected. Is the true gospel important in our world today? Absolutely. Absolutely. Are there false versions of who Jesus is floating out there, even through Christian circles? Absolutely. And we, again, need to take the same concern, right, that Paul takes of the Church of Galatia and saying, are we following the true gospel? Are we standing on the truth of God's word, of how it defines Jesus, of how it defines the gospel, of, of what is salvation and how do we get it? There, there is more than one gospel being preached in our world today. And, and, and as, we, as we look at this, again, we, we read the seriousness of the tone of Paul in this letter. And I think if he was writing this letter today to, you know, America, right, or to Faith Journey, or to, you know, Christians, right, or even around the world, right, is that um, I think he might have the same tone, and as we look at that, what I want to do today, and I think is before, like I said, before we dive deeper into the letter, and he goes into all kinds of different details and aspects and, and things like that, is I feel like we cannot move on in deeper into this letter until we clearly define what the true gospel is. And so today, as you see, and you might have noticed, right, that your outline is really small print today. Okay, because there's lots of scripture. Okay, because... Um, I want to do, like I said, before we move on, and it talks about the true gospel. He talks about the good news. Before we do that is we are going to say, what is the true gospel, right? The good news of Jesus. Okay, again, the good news just is, it is gospel. The word gospel, right, is literally translated as good news. And you see that's how it's translated even in this, in this verse. The first thing that we need to understand about the true gospel okay, is the fact that everyone needs a savior. Okay, that we, we all need a savior. In fact, we, we see in, in Romans through twenty three, 23, it tells us, For everyone has sinned. We fall short of God's glorious standard. Again, and I'll just side note for this as we go through this. Um, all that's here that's presented, right? I mean, Paul tells him, he says, don't stray from the gospel that you were taught by me and, and, and my team, right? And so all that's here, all of these verses we're about to look at in this true gospel come from Paul's writings or from the gospels so this is literally what paul taught them okay first off right we all need a savior for everyone is sin. we all fall short of god's glorious standard and this means that our relationship with our god has been broken because of our sin the next part of of the true gospel or the good news is the fact that we can't earn our salvation by works that we cannot earn it ourselves because we fall short of God's glory standard. And, and again, that is to be in relation with God, because God is holy. You can't be in the presence right, of sin, and that's why it's severed. And, so, and we can't earn it by our works. Romans 4, 4 through 5 says, When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something that they've earned. But people are counted as righteous not because of their work, but because of their faith in God, who forgives sinners. So if we can't earn our salvation, how, how can we get it? Well, we receive our salvation. We receive our salvation by grace through faith. And the next filling is grace. We receive our salvation by grace through faith. Ephesians 2.8.9 tells us that God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it. Again, we see that it's, we're not saved by works, right? We are saved by grace, through faith when we believe. It's, it's not something that we earn and we can't make ourselves uh, get it, right? It's, we have to get it by grace. And, and, and as we, we realize that, right, and we see... this this verse, right, in Ephesians 2.8.9, it says, so again, it's not something that I claim credit for. I mean, that's why we need a Savior. That's why God sent Jesus. And and yet, even as we think about that, and and again, the gospel actually even defines what salvation is, right? And again, salvation is, is not just eternal life. In fact, that's not really the actual goal of our faith, is not eternal life. Is that our salvation is about a relationship with God. And now the goal of our faith is to be made holy because, like, he is holy. And, and because when we're made holy like he's holy, then we can be in relationship with a God. Now, our eternal life and our salvation, right, and heaven are, are byproducts of the fact that we are in a relationship with God. Right, in fact, that's what makes heaven so great, right? It's not the streets of gold and the no sickness, right? What makes heaven so great is God's unhindered presence. And because of God's unhindered presence, there is no sin and there is no disease. And there's, right, everything's perfect. And, and again, we have streets of gold and we have all that, right? That's, it's because of God's presence and because we are in an unhindered relationship with him. Right now, again, we get eternal life in that, right? I mean, that comes with it, right? That, I mean, all that, but, but it's about relationship with God. Retirement plan. It's a great retirement plan. It, it, because salvation is about relationship. In fact, Jesus tells us this, right? In John 17, three, he says, these are the words of Jesus. He says, and this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, the one who sent earth. Again, Jesus defines salvation as relationship. It is to know God and for him to know you. So, so salvation is about a relationship with God. And once we are saved by grace, through faith, not by works, right, then we receive the Holy Spirit. And once we are saved, we receive the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 11 says that the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Right? When we receive Christ as our Savior, when we accept his gift of salvation through grace, through faith, then we receive the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit indwells in us. In fact, that's why again we read and we sang it in one of our songs this morning, right? When we talk about the veil being torn. When Jesus died, that there was a veil in, in the temple, right? And the Holy of Holies, there was a veil that was there where God's presence lived right, under the first covenant. And when Jesus died, it says that veil was torn because God's presence was no longer confined into the Holy of Holies. Now it lives in the heart of every believer. Right? We receive the Holy Spirit when, once we are saved, when that relationship is restored between us and our God. Also, once saved, our identity changes. Our identity changes once we are saved, If we move from God's creation to God's child. Romans 8, 14, and the last part of verse 15 says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God, and you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children, and now we call him Abba Father. Again, and with, through grace and faith, through receiving Christ as our Savior, accepting that, right? We, our identity is changed from God's creation to God's child, and we are adopted back into God's family, right? Which makes us brothers and sisters in the family of God. And as we, we see, again, this plan, there's a few other details. Again, I just want to point out the true gospel. The, the next one is, is the fact that Jesus is the only way to be saved. Right? Jesus is the only way. I mean, he is the Savior. He is the Messiah. He was 100% divine, 100% human, the one sent by the Father to live a sinless life, to die, to rise again, to conquer death, to restore relationship. In fact, the, the, the boldest claim Jesus ever made about himself, okay, John 14, 6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Again, this is, like I said, the boldest claim that Jesus ever made. And, and in fact, in this claim right that Jesus makes, there is no wiggle room in this claim. Either Jesus is 100% accurate in what he said, or he is a lunatic. That cannot back up his words. There's no wiggle room in that statement. Now, again, what I hear today, and I'm telling you, declaring the truth of the gospel to say that I believe that Jesus was 100% accurate in what he claimed. And he backed it up, right? In his death, in dying in our place, and by rising again and conquering death, and tearing the veil, and giving us the Holy Spirit, and all those things, right? He proved it. He backed up his claim. Right? But he says, no one can come to the Father except through me. As we look at all this, right, and, and think about, again, what, just like Paul tells him, I come in love, just God's motivation in this whole story is love. It is a part of his character. God is love. Right? And he said, why would God do this? <laughs> why would he save us? And when we just push him away and reject him, well, because he, he's love. In fact, one of the most famous verses, right, of the gospel, uh, the giving the gospel message this is John 3, 16. It says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. By right? God's motivation in this whole story saga is love. He loves you enough to save you enough to pursue a relationship with you, to, to sacrifice his son, right? To restore that relationship. God loves you more than you can imagine. And as we look at the, the truth of the gospel, right, and all this that we've looked at and, and what salvation is and how we get it through Jesus and all those things, but the, the last point I want to point out of the true gospel is that we must accept God's gift of salvation. That God is a true gentleman. He will not force himself on anyone. He, he's offered it to you. He's paid that price, and, and it is there. But we have to accept that gift. Because, right, I mean, the reality is, a gift has to be received to be a gift. Right, it has to be received and opened and accepted. Okay, we must accept God's gift of salvation. Okay, because, again, God will not infringe on our free will. Okay, and, and he, he gives us that free will. To where, which means that we also have the free will to reject our salvation. Right? And yet, we, we have to accept it. Right? We have to surrender our heart and our life to, to God's plan of redemption. All right? Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. We must accept God's gift of salvation. As we look at this, and, and again, there's, I mean, I, I could continue to show you verses, and we could come up, and in fact, that's one of the, the questions in the sermon, sermon discussion questions. If you go to one of those small groups this week, that's actually one of the questions is what else should be on this list of the true gospel, right? And what, what verses I leave out? And again, I'll tell you, like, there's a lot more I could have put on there, right? But you would have had a multi-page outline. Anyway, but Again, we we look at this true gospel, right? And, and even as we look at this last point that we must accept it, then then I now ask you the question: Have you accepted Christ as your savior? Because that's our mission. That's the point of the church, right? Is to teach you who God is and what the gospel says, and and the fact that you need a savior and that God loves you more than you can imagine, and He's already paid the price. Jesus died in your place, you don't have to earn it, but you do have to accept it. Have you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you haven't, then today can be the day of salvation for you. Again, just as the scripture tells us, right? You just pray and confess and believe and invite God in your life. And that's how you will be saved. And that's how your relationship with God gets restored. That's how your identity changes to God's child. And you're adopted into his family. And so you receive the Holy Spirit. And that's how you join the journey of faith. And once you have received Christ as your Savior, then you start a new journey. A journey of transformation by God's Spirit. A journey is staying committed to the true gospel of not drifting away or following things that seem more attractive in the moment or that might be easier. And it's at that point that we then need to live out the good news of the gospel every day in my life. So if the answer was yes to my first question, and this is the next question, are you in the journey? Are you growing in your faith? Are you submitting to God every day? Are you learning more about who he is and about who you are and are you using your gifts and accomplishing the mission that God has sent us on? Because we are here at Faith Journey Church to grow and to go on mission and to learn and to be changed and move forward, closer to Christ. And, and, and that's where we get, again, if you've you received Christ, if you join the journey of faith, then, then we save. once we accept and start to live the true gospel, then Jesus needs to be the destination of your journey. Again, life's not about you anymore. It's now about God. It's about being more holy every day. It's about being transformed by his spirit, right? Of deepening your relationship with God, of uh, of. Of helping God to purify your life and getting rid of the, those old sinful habits and those old ways of thinking and, and, and to be transformed into seeing the world the way God sees the world. Right? And living out the gospel every day. Because the reality is there is a choice that we must make every day. Am I going to live out my faith? Am I going to stay committed? Am I going to fight for the true gospel? Because if we don't, as we learn from the church of Galatia, we will drift. Again, is Jesus truly the destination of your journey? That is our core value, number one, by the way, because that's the thing we have to make sure is always true, no matter what. We are moving closer. We're following the example of Jesus. We're being transformed by his spirit. And that's a choice and a commitment that I must make every day so I don't drift from the true gospel. Again, I want to, because, the, again, this is a choice we have to make. And, and I think, again, Paul, Paul presents this choice in a, in a few ways. In fact, that's how he concludes this section of Galatians. But before we look at one ten, I want to look at the other choice, right? The other thing that's out there, the, these false gospels. Okay, 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. Again, Paul writes, he says, For there is a, a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching, They will follow their own desires, and they will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. Again, I've never read any scripture that's more relevant to today than that one. I mean, all scripture is relevant to today, but... I mean, he wrote this looking into the future, Look at our world today. How true is this? And as we look at that, again, we again have to fight for the true gospel every day. Right? Whether it's something I say or any other pastor says or, or any other religious teacher, it is take what they say and make sure that they're teaching the true gospel. And you go back to the very beginning, right where Paul ends up, and he's saying, again, go through those filters right and saying, "Are these all true?" Right, because if the, if it doesn't pass all of those tests, then I better not go down that road. And guess what? Those those false gospels—they sound good. They they—it's what my ears want to hear. Right? <laughs> it might be the easier road. Right, but we have to fight for the true gospel. And like I said, this is one choice, right? I mean, he's saying people are making this choice. People are going down the wrong road, right? They're, they're following a false gospel under false teachings. Okay, but this is the other side of that coin, okay, which is the way he ends this section, which is in Galatians 1.10, where he says, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Right, and again, he, he's reiterating to them and, and reiterating even probably to himself, right, of saying, no, my life as a servant of Christ is to please God. I'm not gonna please anybody else. But my number one conviction of my life as a follower of Jesus is to please God, to make God happy with my decisions, with my actions, with my Attitudes with my conversations, with, with everything that I do, right? That is my goal, is to please God. Now, I, I'm, if you please people at the same time, like, that's great. I mean, and those can both be true, right? But a lot of times they're not. But if it comes down to a decision of, of pleasing people or pleasing God, I want to truly live this out, right? And say, no, I want to make God proud my life is about serving him right and i'm not going to follow where the world goes right this evil fallen world i'm going to follow what god says and at that point right it's not necessarily a matter of choice anymore but it becomes a matter of obedience will i be obedient to what god has told me to do will i please god I think as we, again, this is a, a question that we must address every single day, every part of our journey. Right? Am I, I'm going to live today to please God. Right? No matter what other people might say, that's the goal of my life. Which leads me to my final thought today, and that is this. It comes from 2 Timothy 4, 5. It says, but you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord and work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. If you are a follower of Jesus today, then you have a ministry. You have the goal of your life is to please God and God has given you gifts and talents and abilities and a mission to spread the true gospel, to shine his light in this dark world. Again, if you're not a follower of Jesus today, if you haven't received him as your your savior, that's the the mission for you. That's your next step. If you are a follower of Jesus, are you living out that mission every day? Are you being obedient to his spirit? Are you living out the true gospel? I hope you are. And even if you're not, you can start today. Make that commitment. Lord, we are so thankful, God, for the true gospel, for the good news. God, for the fact that you hear us when we call. Lord, when we call on you and we ask, God, for our salvation, for our forgiveness, Lord, for, for a restored relationship with you, God, you answer that call. We thank you for Jesus. And, God, I pray that as we go from here this week, God, that we will truly live out our faith every day. God, that we will make that choice. Say, my life is about you, Lord. In every decision, in every conversation, in every task I complete, God, I will do it for your glory. And God, I pray, Lord, for, for those that don't know you, God, that they will find you. God, for those that have drifted from the true gospel, God, that you will pull them home. And for those that are committed to you, Lord, that they will live their faith every day and we will see your spirit at work. We praise you today. We thank you for saving us, for transforming us, for changing us through your spirit for for you building your kingdom through us as your church. Guide us as we go this week, as we shine your light in everywhere we go. Guide us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.